Welcome to an inspirational message recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. Thank you very much, Pastor Harold, and a warm welcome and good evening to all of you, the uh, online uh, visitors and our people who's listening from all over the globe. You know, we had a special meal prepared for all of you, which we wanted to present to you face to face. But tonight we will have to settle for second best, which is your takeaway meal in the comfort of your home. And we are so grateful that we have this opportunity to even revert back to the live streaming webcasting. So welcome to every single one of the visitors and our members. And before I commence with this evening service, let us just close our eyes and entreat before God, before we do what the Lord has called us to do. Father God, we surrender this evening before you. We humbly bow ourselves before you and we ask you, Father, that your spirit will minister to us through the ministry of your word. Father, thank you that we may gather together during this time of Pentecost, during this feast of Pentecost, that we can learn from you, that we can depend upon and that we can ask you, Father, for the fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Bless every person here that is listening, Father God. Make them prosper in their ways and let the fire of your anointing come upon them. And Father, in all of this, may you be glorified. I pray this in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning as I woke up to do my personal devotional time, I realized it was the first of June, New Beginnings. Time for something new, a new and a fresh outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. And it was also raining this morning. And so we are so grateful for the rain that the Lord had sent. And that once again just emphasized for me that there is a fresh outpouring of God's Holy Spirit that He wants to bring upon the church in the hour that we are in. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been blessed with so many powerful services and sermons concerning Pentecost and especially concerning the anointing. And God's Holy Spirit took me to the place of finding out what is it that these men and these women in the Word of God, that they did, what is it that they did right for the anointing to abide upon them always? What are key elements that we can learn from them that we can apply to ourselves in order to receive this anointing that God has for us? Because this is what God still wants for the hour that we are living in. We know what the outcome of the anointing was when the 120 in the upper room received the holy spirit and the anointing that came upon them we know the word of god teaches us in the morning they went and three thousand souls were saved they gathered together they sold their possessions they were in one accord they went to the temple daily but what are the things that preceded that what were the things that they were doing right and all of those men and those women in god's word in the old testament and the new testament saints and let's learn from that so the foundational scripture for this evening service is found in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 11 and 12. And because it relates to us, what do we need to do in order to get that anointing? This is what God says. And do this. In other words, do what is needed to obtain this anointing. And do this knowing that the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So in order to start, I want to just lay a basic foundation pertaining two things here. Because on this foundation we build for what God wants us to get to know out of this. Firstly, let's just 
find out what is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What is it that when God refers to it, the anointing is nothing else than the presence of God, the presence of God's Holy Spirit. I wrote something here. The Holy Spirit leads us to live in his presence and experiences that power through the anointing. Many scholars relate this anointing, this presence of God's Holy Spirit to that which is the glory of God that was present in the Garden of Eden. Imagine that glory to be with us. But the glory of God, this anointing, people misunderstand because they always seek the power first. And you cannot obtain the power, the signs and the wonders and the miracles unless it is that God's anointing through His Holy Spirit come first. So it's first the anointing and then the power. Now the second point to, to still just build this foundation is why? Why do we need the anointing? Because what is the purpose of that? Enough? And I suppose many people haven't even got the answer for themselves. Why is it that you want the anointing? What is the reason and the purpose that you desire for this anointing of God to come upon you? And let's establish this first. God sent His Holy Spirit. His purpose was this, to testify of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the anointing was to equip us for service. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Luke 4 verses 18 and 19 says this. This is after he was baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit, went into the desert, overcame Satan in those 40 days of temptation. Now he went into the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, for 30 years he waited for this anointing to come. And listen what he says. He says, verse 18 of Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. So first the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, which then anointed him. For what? Then we read all the rest. For service. What is the service here? To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent him to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So we've established this foundation now that whatever your desire and the reason is why you want God's Holy Spirit and that anointing to come upon yourself, if it is not for the equipping of yourself, for service, then nothing is going to happen in your life. Yes, the anointing comes and it breaks the yoke of bondage. That bondage is you and me being in sin. But God wants us to be free from sin so that we can get to know what God's will and purpose for our life is so that the anointing may abide in us and that we will continuously become that vessels of honor through the anointing that comes upon our life. There are four things that the Lord really laid on my heart, things that we can learn from these men and these women in the Old Testament. Why it is that the anointing not only came upon them, but stayed upon them. And always look at our Lord Jesus Christ as the focal point, as the center here, why that anointing remained upon him. And the first thing is that all of these men and these women lived the life of consecration. Consecration, Hebrew word means kadash, and it means to keep holy, without defilement, to keep purity, and to sanctify all of them related to oneself, to yourself. There is a cost to be paid. There is a price. This consecration, if you get this right, this is the hardest and the difficult part of it all. When you get this right, everything else will fall in line. You know, in the Old Testament, the word consecration appears more than 30 times. But in the New Testament, that word is not found. Yes, Reference is made to it many a times, but you don't find the word consecration in the New Testament in the King James uh, Version. 
Why is that? Yes, the revelation concerning this. In the Old Testament, consecration was an action. In the New Testament, consecration is a person, the person Jesus Christ. If you want to live a life of blessedness and fullness, consecrate yourself in Christ to the point that you can get where you understand what Paul says when he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. You see, consecration is going to cost you. Consecration means they sacrifice. You have to give something in order to get that. We are now in the feast of Pentecost. It is going to cost you something. Are you willing to pay that price? Are you prepared to pay a price? Because when the price is paid, you will reap the benefits thereof. Consecration. Consecration. You will not. Obtain the anointing without consecrating yourself unto God. These men and these women consecrated themselves unto God. They never departed from that. They were those upon whom the anointing was removed because they did depart from that, where they did not remain consecrated to God. There is Samson, the anointing was removed from him. There is Saul, the anointing was removed from him. There is uh, Solomon, the anointing was removed from him when he started bowing down to false idols and gods because of all the women that he got married to. The point is, consecration will cost you. Are you prepared to pay the, 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 the price? What price, you may ask? Here it is. Every day. You start doing it every day, and every day you get better at it, but you surrender yourself to God. You humble yourself to God. Every day you take up that cross. You crucify the flesh. It is more of God and less of you. Every day you will get better until it becomes just second nature. Consecration is you choosing deliberately God above all and everything else. This is what God requires of us, and this is the key and the entry point for those who lived the consecrated life. You know, if we look at the church in the hour that we are living in, you can see why the anointing has not come upon the church in this world. You can see how the churches are struggling. You can see why the body of Christ is bleeding, why they are at enmity with one another, because the leaders of the churches of the congregations in the world do not want to consecrate themselves and are not prepared to pay the price for what God has asked. If I look just at um, the United States of America, they are for us the bastion of Christianity because they're the largest Christian nation in the world. And... Various research centers had produced the following facts, and, and they are reputable. People like the Barna Group, the, the, the Pew Research Center, and then the Public Religion Research Institute. Listen to what they have said. This is what's happening in the churches today. Only 52% of churchgoers says that when the COVID regulations are done and dusted, that they will return to full-time service, full-time in-person service, only 52%. So 48% of, of the people are saying they are comfortable to be at home watching uh, TV and watching live stream and not willing to go out there to fellowship with the saints. 10%, less than 10% of sermons that are preached by the evangelical churches in America teach about these four principles. They don't teach about sin. They don't teach about salvation. They do not teach about heaven, nor do they teach about hell. In other words, more than 90% of churches in the Americas, in the evangelical churches, do not touch these subjects. What is it 
than that they are preaching out there in the world. 48% of the Americans, the world's largest Christian nation with more than 380,000 churches, 48% of the people say they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the largest Christian nation in the world. And this is according to these researches that had been done. 68% of all evangelical churches say that their membership is less than 100 people, which includes children. And of those more than 50% of those are less than 50 um, people in a particular congregation. For the last seven years, more than 2 million people per annum are leaving the churches in America. So for seven years going, 14 million people have stopped going to church. Now tell me if the church is not in trouble Tell me there's not something that must come and that's something they need to change. Tell me that the churches are not in need of the anointing of God's Spirit to come upon them because they are not willing to pay the price of consecrating themselves. It is the leaders of those congregations that are not prepared to pay the price. They are not prepared to sacrifice. They are not prepared to pay the cost for what is needed. And this is really what we are trying to accomplish and achieve in this time of the Feast of Pentecost that the people will return to their first love again and ask God anointing to come upon themselves but get yourself aligned the church the body of christ so that god can move in the churches so the church can go and equip the people and prepare them for service to go and become a witness for god because the witnesses of christ is birthed from the in the church because this is where we are taught and this is where we where we where we learn about the word of god and it is the anointing that comes and breaks that yoke and take these people out of bondage so that the revelation may come of who christ is in their lives you know rightly paul said this rightly said this in 2 timothy 3 verses 5 these churches these people who do these things and are not willing to pay the price they have a form of godliness but they deny its power and he says from such people turn away matthew 15 8 and 8 and 9 our lord jesus our savior says this these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines, commandments of men. Consecration is going to cost you. Are you prepared to pay the price? The second point, the thing that all these men and these women did was that they were people who were obedient. Now, obedience, we read here, 120 in the upper room in Luke 24 verse 49, Jesus says here to them, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus gave them a command to wait in the city and they waited. They were obedient. They waited for the Holy Spirit to come. Benny Heen in his book, The Anointing, tells about an occasion where he was ministering in the morning and there was a powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he couldn't wait to get back to his hotel room and getting ready for the evening service. And the Holy Spirit prompted him to pray that afternoon before the evening service starts. And his cousin called him. She was in town to visit him, she and her husband. And he didn't have time then to pray. He went to the church that evening and he said he couldn't wait for the service to finish. He was so embarrassed. He felt so flat. He said there was nothing. And he went back to his hotel room and he cried and he asked God, Lord, why did your anointing not come upon us in the service this evening? And the, and the father revealed to him through the Holy Spirit, you were disobedient because you did not go and pray as I have asked you to do. You see, obedience is going to cost you. Obedience is elevating God above everything and anything else in your life. 
as all these men and women in the word of God we heard and that we read of. David did it. Peter did it. Paul did it. Moses did it. Joshua did it. They were all obedient, not momentarily, not occasionally or periodically. They were obedient eternally whilst they lived this journey here on the earth. The third thing that all these men and these women do, they were men and women of prayer. Now, what can I say about prayer that you don't already know about prayer? You know, Moses prayed. David prayed. Samuel prayed. Hannah prayed. Esther prayed. We all know that they prayed. In Acts 1 verses 14, it says here that these 120 people, these all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication with the woman and the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They got together in prayer. You see, of all the things that the disciples could ask our Lord Jesus Christ, they didn't ask him for wealth for riches. They didn't ask him to see if their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They didn't ask for family members' names to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. In the Word of God, they asked Jesus one thing, teach us how to pray. Why would they ask him this? Because they saw our Lord Jesus praying and they saw the result because of that prayer. And then our Lord Jesus goes and he explains to them in Matthew 6 verses 5 to 15 of how to pray and of how not to pray. Now, when I woke up on Saturday morning getting ready for our prayer meeting, praying before the time and then leaving for prayer, I woke up and immediately this word came into my spirit, pray. And I thought, okay, I know pray because I've got to go and pray. This is what I'm going to do before we go into the prayer meeting. But the word kept in my spirit, didn't leave me. And I realized God was saying something. And instantly there came the word or these two words, personal relationship and as I was getting ready, I stopped and I realized God was saying something. He was giving some explanation here. Personal relationship are the first two letters of the word pray. And I waited because I wanted to know what are the other two letters then. It's like an acronym the Lord is giving here. And I was thinking, okay, what, what words can I fit to make it sound nice? And I stopped and I realized because it was not mine. God was showing me something. And then he said, personal relationship and yielding. You see, those men and those women in the Bible who had the anointing upon them permanently, they had a personal relationship with God in their prayer life, and they yielded to God. They bowed down to God. Their prayers were prayers of yieldedness. They elevated God above all. Their circumstances were never elevated and raised higher than what God had planned for them. Personal relationship was with, is what God is all about in our prayer life. Here is the thing. You may spend an hour in the morning or in the evening in your devotional time. That is your devotional time. That's not your prayer life. Personal relationship is God consciousness all the time. When you go to work, when you go to family, when you go to the shops, you never step down from that personal relationship with God. Personal relationship and yieldedness to God will draw God's attention and you will receive the breakthrough. That yoke of bondage will be broken. You know, Catherine Kuhlman used to say this, God is not looking for golden vessels. He's not looking for silver vessels. He's looking for a yielded vessel. You know, why is it that in this church things happen and the anointing comes? 
when we pray and because we pray. Because right from the senior pastor, right into the pastors and everybody in this congregation, people are praying through personal relationship and yielding unto God. When the pastors get together in the mornings, they pray for you. They pray for those personal individual requests that comes to our attention. We pray every day for you. This church prays. If you don't know how to pray, you come to a Saturday morning because you will know what it means to pray. We pray in the spirit. We pray in the natural. But you will never cease praying because that is the thing that changes us and draws us near to God. It is the thing that holds us and sustains us. The anointing abide upon those who stay in that spirit of prayer. You know, in this church, we have seen the miracles. We receive those prayer cards and we pray. We receive the testimonies. We hear the breakthroughs. We see the breakthroughs. People testify about the breakthroughs because we know that prayer brings the answers. A yielded vessel brings the answers. Charles Spurgeon said when he's asked, what is more important, reading God's word or praying? His answer would be this. What is more important, breathing in or breathing out? I personally have a testimony concerning prayer that happened recently. We moved uh, to a new place and our youngest daughter was placed in a new school at the beginning of this term. And this helped us because she's closer to home now. She can also take the bus and the bus drops her off at school. And it so happened just after a week or so that she started at this new school. I went to pick her up on a Friday. Normally pick her up around about quarter to two. And then I picked my eldest daughter up at two o'clock. And I waited for her. And I waited. And I couldn't find her. And I knew I had to make a call, a quick move, because I can't keep my eldest daughter waiting. So by two o'clock I phoned my wife and I said to her, well, I can't find our child. Has she made perhaps alternative arrangements to pick her up? And she replied negative. So she said and agreed, I should go and pick up our eldest in the meantime. She will phone the school and ask them if she perhaps went with the bus, which was not our arrangement, or to ask and to call her in the school. So we went. I went to pick up my eldest at school, and on there I got the call. The school can't find our youngest daughter. They do believe that she's on the bus. So there's an uneasiness that was in me because I know my daughter really wouldn't do that. But I had a little bit of peace in that. So I told my eldest daughter as I picked her up that this was the case. And I could see she was stressing a little bit as well. But I kept on praying. I kept on praying in the car slowly and softly in the spirit. When I got home, just after half past two, by that time, the bus should have been there. My youngest daughter wasn't there. I dropped off my eldest daughter and I said, I'm going to just drive around in the, in, the, in, the, in the estate. See if I can find the bus. Maybe she's dropped off elsewhere. Three o'clock, I got back at home, still no sign of my daughter. By now, my mind is running. And you know the battle that you, that you fight to keep your mind, your mind sound because Satan is certainly coming for you and he wants to disturb and he wants to cause fear. I phoned my wife and she's in tears. Get my eldest daughter said, get into the car. And he asked me, where am I going? I said, I don't know. I'm going to go where the Lord leads me. And I knew I have to start at the beginning, go back to the school. And as we got into the car, I started praying in the spirit. And now I'm praying loud. My eldest daughter tells me that I need to, just calm it down a little bit. I said, I can't. I said, this is all that I have. All that I have is prayer. I prayed in the spirit loud because it's the only thing that kept me going. When I got to that school, I got out of the car and I just walked straight in, which I was not allowed to do because parents aren't allowed to enter the schools anymore nowadays because of all these COVID regulations. A young daughter came to me. Don't know her from a bar of soap. And she says to me, sorry, sir, you can't enter into this premises. I said, I know. But I'm looking for my child and I want to ask if somebody can help me. She asked me, what's your daughter's name? And I gave her my daughter's name. And she said, oh, no, don't worry. I know where she is. I'll go and fetch her. She's in one of the, 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 the daycare classes. So there was an obvious miscommunication. And what felt like in half an hour, which was only five minutes, there my daughter arrives without 
any knowledge of what we had just experienced. But prayer is what kept me sane. Prayer is what kept me hopeful. Prayer is what kept my evil thoughts at bay because Satan wants to attack you with fear, with anxiety. This is the power of prayer that God has for each and every single one of us. Why is it that David could pray when he would go before every battle? He would say, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew your steadfast spirit in me and cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. The presence, the anointing, the Holy Spirit, which is God himself. David knew he couldn't do anything without him. This is what he prayed. And all his mighty men and his warriors would wait for him. It is said that David would often retreat. And only after praying, waiting for the anointing to come, he would surface. And when he would arrive, everybody knew that the anointing was upon him, that their leader was fighting, and that they were ready to fight. And that anointing spilled over unto them. And this is why they won all their battles. This is why they were such a powerful tool in the hand of God. Because of David, David's prayer life where the anointing came. The last one, and by now you should come to know that there is an acronym that you can learn from this the four things that we can learn that we can take for ourselves to apply what these men and these women did the last one is an expectation so if you take all four consecration obedience prayer and expectation that is the word cope this is how we cope in this life for the anointing to come expectation none of these men in the upper room and women went into that upper room without an expectation. Acts 1 verses 12 to 13 is now after our Lord Jesus Christ ascended to the heaven and where he now, the, 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 the angels said to them that he will return in likewise manner. Right after that, this is what happens. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, right after our Lord Jesus ascended now, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. They had an expectation that the Holy Spirit would come. Right after that, they go back into Jerusalem, into the upper room, and they waited there. How long? They had no idea how long they had to wait for the anointing to come. How it would come? They had no idea how the anointing would come. But they had an expectation because they trusted in God. You is the thing about an expectation nobody has an expectation for anything except it is that you have faith and trust and hope in the thing that you had an expectation for they had an expectation for the anointing to come because their faith and their hope was built on god let me ask you a question what is your expectation during this feast of pentecost do you have an expectation for this feast of Pentecost. What is it that you desire of God? What is it that makes you listen to this and connecting? What is it that you're expecting God to do? Go and find out what it is that you've got hope for and faith for. And therein lies your expectation. The fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit is needed. I wrote here, the anointing empowers us to become the witness for Christ and it breaks the yoke. Let me close off by saying this. If you once again look at the world by and large, the body of Christ, how it is suffering, and especially why we've been battling and struggling to evangelize this world. Listen to what's happening. Once again, these research centers, information that they had provided, they say that 70% of all young people in their 20s, once they have finished with school, they leave the church. 70% of the young people in America leave, leave the church after they have finished school. 62% of the young people in America from the age between 18 to 34, 62% believe that premarital sex is not wrong. I ask you, 
What translation of the Word of God are they reading and are they being taught? Is that the sinner's translation or the compromiser's translation? Because it is not the translation that I'm reading. It's not the word of God that I know. You see, if we compromise and we do not create an expectation for these people and, and, and for the anointing to come upon them, they will not have that expectation for the anointing to come. Listen to this. 45% of the people attending the church in America says that they are not saved. 45% of the people say that they are not saved. 70%. Of the people in America, they call it the unchurched people, people that never went to church. They say they have never been invited to church. I now know why we have been struggling with evangelism, becoming a witness for Christ. Because many people have failed because they've gone and done it without the anointing. Our Lord Jesus Christ waited for the anointing to come. We've just read it. We've heard it. He waited for 30 years for the anointing to come. And then he was empowered from on high. And then he went and to do the work what God had called him to do. You and I, for the anointing to come upon us, need to live a consecrated life. We need to be obedient to God, even if it costs us. We need to have a prayer life where there is personal relationship but yieldedness unto God. And we need to have an expectation that the Lord will use us and that the lost will come in. And when the anointing is upon us, we will be able to do that which God has called us to do. May this Pentecost, this anointing come upon you to equip you for that service. And you know when you do that and when you respond to that, then God will take care of every other need in your life. I thank you for listening. May you be blessed during this feast of Pentecost. May the Lord truly touch you and bless you in this time. Father, bless these people. May the anointing of your Holy Spirit come powerfully upon your people. May they draw near to you. May you be glorified. Open up the windows of heaven upon them, Father God. Lord, break the yoke of bondage upon their lives. Set them free that they may walk in liberty. And Father, that your kingdom may come and that your will be done. In Jesus Christ's name I pray this. Amen. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.